0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Good to see you guys this morning. It's good to worship with you and uh, just to be together on a Sunday morning and get to to worship together and study the word together. So I love that. If you're a first-timer, second-timer, maybe a third-timer, but a special welcome to you. We love having you join us and I love you being a part of this experience. If that's you, uh, after the service, immediately following the service, I'll tell you this again to at to the end. But over these doors, my left, your right, if you walk right out those doors, our welcome room is right there. You won't miss it. And there'll be folks from the church there. They can answer any questions you might have. You can get a cup of coffee. We've got a cool gift, just our way of saying thanks for joining us. If you're online, good morning, online viewers. I love that we have the technology. Some of you are sick or you're at the cabin, you're in the lake, and you can still join us. So we love that. Uh, I will say this, we had our kids came back from camp, and camp was awesome, I heard camp was awesome, and so thrilled that, that uh, our kids could be there, and some of you know man, it's a great experience to go to camp, to get away for a week, and to be able to do that, and so you'll hear more of, of that and the stories of camp uh, down the road, you'll hear about that, but uh, excited, excited that you guys had a great week. Uh, I will tell you this and just remind you of this, that the funeral today is here at the church for Kathy Stranquist. Uh, Jerry, you know, is our pastor emeritus. He's, he's on uh, staff here. We, we consider him on staff as a pastor emeritus. They live in Phoenix. But the funeral will be today, visitation at 4. Funeral will be at 5 o'clock, just so you know. It will be right here in the building, right here in the sanctuary. Uh, let me, we're going to take our uh, tithes and offerings. We're going to bring tithes and offerings to the Lord this morning. But before we do that, I'll, I'll just tell you this. We just got done with worship like we were singing I always say worship, but we were singing. There's a lot of different ways to worship. We were singing, and some of you notice this. Sometimes when we sing, people put their hands in the air, and if you're newer to the church, you see that, and you're always like, why, why does that guy always have a question when we're singing? That seems weird. And just you know they don't have a question, this is a posture thing. We raise our hands sometimes because this posture says, I'm surrendered to God, I'm dependent on God, I rely on God. Just like if you had your arms in front of you, you fold your arms in front of you, this means I'm closed off to everybody right? Uh, Your hands, you can do the same thing with your hands. You can put your hands out in front of you. You can squeeze them like this, ball them up like you make a a fist, like you want to be in a fight, right? Or you can open your hands, change your posture, open your hands, and say, I'm ready to receive. When we bring our tithes and offerings to God, we give back what's really already His. We're assuming a posture, a posture that says, my heart is open to God, that says, my heart is open to other people, And as your pastor, as a pastor of this church, then there's nothing that I would wish more for you. The thing that has been the greatest blessing in my life is to learn generosity. And so as we bring our tithes and offerings this morning, we're assuming a a posture of generosity. Just so you know, when our kids go to camp here, it's the district's camp, and we send our kids to camp, our kids don't pay full price. Some kids, like, think, think of how expensive camp is getting now, and what if you had three kids? And so, because of your generosity, we're able to help out in the scholarships and scholarship some kids. Uh, because of your generosity, because you assume a posture of generosity, we're able to feed a lot of people in this community. That's your generosity. Because of your posture of generosity, we have missionaries throughout the country, but we have missionaries all over the world. And this is a weird thought to me, but we send missionaries to places, this is crazy, they've never actually heard when you say Jesus, they go, Who? What? They've never heard the name of Jesus, and the reason that they're now hearing it is because of your generosity. And so, uh, man, I'm grateful that I'm a church that just gives and is generous. Let's pray this morning. Yeah, hey, who said that? Yes, we can applaud that. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, God. And, And you gave, you gave your son. And so, Father, this is us. We're just bringing back a portion of what you've already given us. And, uh, Lord, uh, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your generosity. Lord, uh, this morning as we bring up, I, I pray that you would give us wisdom as church leadership, that you would give us wisdom. Um, man, Father, these funds would be allocated properly. I pray, Father, for the givers this morning, that you would bless them indeed, that you would bless them. And for those who are just unable to give this morning, Lord, would you bless them, show yourself, reveal yourself as their provider. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just so you know this, we try to make giving easy for you. So there are four ways, four easy ways that you can always give here at Cedar Valley Church. You can text to give. You just text the word Cedar Valley. It's one word to 77977. You can text it in. You can give online at cvchurch.org. When you leave the auditorium this morning, there will be ushers at the back doors as you're walking out. They'll have buckets. You can drop it in there. You can put a check. You can put cash in. And then, as always, if you want to mail it into the church, you can do that as well. I'm going to ask you in your Bibles to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, if you're newer to the Bible, it's kind of toward the back half of the Bible. It kind of goes through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And uh, uh, if you don't have a Bible, man, we'd love for you to have one. they in the They're in the lobby. They're on the high top tables. They're in English and Spanish, so make sure you get the right one. But we're going to continue our study this morning through through this uh, book. It's a letter of Ephesians. Uh, Let me just just explain this to you. There is a current thought that's moving through churches, not just our church, or not not our church, but moving through different churches. And some of you will be familiar with this. It's called prosperity theology, prosperity theology. And the idea is biblical heresy. Uh, it's not accurate theology, but, but prosperity theology basically says this. God's desire is always for you to have optimum health and rich financial wealth. That, that's it. That if you uh, stay away from sin, that if you do things right, that if you have enough faith, that if you give enough money, God will always reward you with good health and financial wealth, right? So what happens is you become a follower of Jesus, and after that, kaboom, this is your life. That's the rest of your life. And it's biblical heresy. And it's easy. This is not a message today on prosperity theology. But the reason we know it's biblical heresy is because we read the Bible. We see the Apostle Paul who had some kind of physical malady. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I prayed to God. And I said, God, remove this flesh from me. And what did God say? Nah, that's my will for you. He said, my grace is sufficient. That's my will for you right? Jesus himself, everybody, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, on the night that he was taken away by the guards, Jesus was in the garden and he was agonizing, like agonizing over his current situation. And he said, God, don't make me go through this. I don't really want to go through this. And what did God say? No, that's my will. That's my will. It's biblical heresy to buy into this idea of uh, prosperity theology. Uh, We've been doing this reading plan here at the church And uh, we're in the book of Job right now. Many of you know the story of Job. And by the way, if you're not on the reading plan with us, let me encourage you. You go on the website. It tells you right where we're at, what chapter of the Bible we're reading. And then we have a pastor from staff that does a podcast every day. different pastor does a podcast, and they discuss it. It's five to ten minutes. If you haven't been a part of that, jump right in. But we've been reading Job. And if you don't know this, here's an introduction to Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says this about Job. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Now watch, he was blameless. He's a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. Like that's a pretty good dude. He's blameless, complete integrity. This is a man of character. He stays away from evil. He has a fear a healthy fear of God. Okay, that's Job 1. Now you get into the rest of the chapter and before the chapter's over, he loses his sons, he loses his daughters, he loses all his livestock. And all those buildings, gone, wiped out. Chapter 2, his friends come, supposedly to encourage him. That doesn't go real well. And now you get to chapter 3, and Job starts speaking out in chapter 3. Now watch this. End of Job, chapter 3, he says this. I can't eat for sign. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest only trouble comes. This is a man who's blameless, fears God, walks in integrity. And I'm telling you, at that point in his life, Job was asking this question: How do I how do I keep on keeping on? That's what he's asking. And how do I keep on keeping on? How do I keep this thing going? Where do I find strength? Because I'm fixing to throw in the towel. I don't know how to keep going on. A while back I read about a Nepalese pastor from Nepal, a pastor from Nepal. Uh, he and his wife came home from the church one day. And uh, they get home, their daughter's not there. They thought, well, that's kind of odd. They start looking around the house for her, looking around the house for her, didn't see her. They pick up a phone, and they start making calls, making calls. Nobody knows where she's at. So now they get a little group of people, and they start searching the township, and they're going everywhere, 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 all throughout the township, and they could not find her. The parent's worst nightmare, some of you can imagine. And they go to bed and have a very restless night. Well, a restless night turned into a restless two weeks and they could not find her and finally after two weeks he found out a man from his own church had kidnapped the daughter took her to India and sold her they went and found the daughter and brought the daughter home and the man in his church was arrested right but the pastor said this I I don't know if I have the strength to go on Like, I don't know how to keep on keeping on, was what he was asking. I don't have the strength. It's not in me. How do I? I just want to throw in the towel. Uh, I had a period about 20 years ago, what I would call just one of those seasons. And I had a two-year season that I went through, and I just thought, man, this is agony. It's sheer agony to wake up every day. And it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. It was just brutal. And you get to a point where you ask, man, how do I keep on keeping on? I I don't have the strength for this. Where do I muster up the strength? Where do I dig up the strength? How do I keep going on? And here's what I know. If Job experienced it, if the pastor in Nepal experienced it, if I've experienced it, we're not unique. And the reality is some of you have experienced it, and you've been through it. And you've asked the question, how do I keep on keeping on? Where do I find strength? How do I keep going? And here's what I also know. If Job experienced it, If the pastor in Nepal experienced it, if I've experienced it, if almost everybody here in this room maybe at some point in your life has experienced it, some of you are in it right now. Some of you are experiencing it right now. Some of you are asking the question, how do I go on? How do I go on with this marriage? How do I keep on keeping on and how do I find the strength? And how do we go on with this job? And how do I keep on keeping on? And how do I find the strength? What do I do to keep on going on? And, in fact, I've been out of a job, off a job, on a job, off a job, off a job, off and it's been going. And you're in financial hardship, and it's just tough. And you say, how do I keep going? How do I keep on keeping on? And where do I find the strength? And some of you have had health conditions, and you say, man, I, I'm just, I, I'm wiped out. How do I keep on keeping on? And some of you have been here the last year and a half on the planet. And it's just been agonizing and frustrating, and you're asking the question, how do I keep on keeping on? How do I find the strength? Where does that kind of strength come from? And we're going to see that, so open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you haven't, we're going to read this. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm starting verse 14, and just so you know, if you're new around here, and we, I tell you this every Sunday, but when we stand to our feet, we don't, we don't just do the up, down, up, down all morning. This is the thing that we do that reminds us. It's just a physical reminder. This isn't just a book. This is God speaking to us. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm starting in verse verse 14. uh, Follow along as as I read out loud. It says this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from god let's pray father thank you for this morning and god thank you for your holy word it gives us life and truth it speaks to us god but that's only by your holy spirit and so holy spirit we need you now to come to give us understanding to speak to each of us individually speak to us corporately as the body of christ but God, draw us to you. What's in this that you want us to hear? And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would do it supernaturally as only you can, where you can actually speak to each individual person in this room. Do that, Holy Spirit. Do it in a way that only glorifies the Father, that only draws attention to him. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, let me, let me clue you in on this. What we're going to see here is a, a prayer from Paul. It's a prayer for strength. But let me give you a quick principle about prayer. The principle of prayer is this, that we pray for what we really care about. The truth is, we pray for what we really care about, right? And so as a result of that, most prayers fall into one of two categories. Most prayers are either pain avoidance, dear God, I see this coming, I don't want to have to experience that. That's pain avoidance, and we pray that all the time. And the other one thing that we pray for, the other category is a change of circumstances, Dear God, my marriage stinks, fix it. Dear God, my job stinks, fix it. Dear God, my financial situation, my, my, this relationship, my health, fix it, God, fix it. And we pray for that all the time. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for these things. It just becomes an issue when that's all we pray about. Because then we don't get a chance to, to offer praise and worship. We don't pray for other people, right? But what's interesting is the reason I bring that up is because we're going to see a prayer here from Paul. Now, go to, you can write this down and look it up when you get home. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and you just get to see a list of all the torment that Paul went through in his life as a result of being a follower of Christ. Because before Paul was a follower of Christ, man, his life was good, and he became a follower of Christ, and his life got really difficult, right? 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, right in the middle of that, 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about, look, man, five times I've been given 39 lashes with a whip. 39, the number that was said to have killed you, they believed was 40. So 39 times is just enough to make you really miserable, but just few enough so you'll have to live to experience it. He says, three times I've been beaten with rods. He says, one time I was stoned. He said, three times I've been shipwrecked. But we're not reading a prayer here from Paul. We're not going to read a prayer from Paul that says, dear God, change my circumstances. In chapter 1, we already saw one of Paul's prayers. And Paul was praying for the Ephesian believers. He said, open their eyes, God, open their eyes and let them see the great hope that they have in Christ. Okay, now we get to a second prayer. That's where we're at. So I want you to see this. And Paul first says this. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Now, very important context when I think of all this. Remember, just back up a little bit and see what he was thinking about. Paul had previously in chapter 2 and and earlier in chapter 3 had been saying this. Our lives before Christ, we were doomed Because of our sin, we were separated from God. We were were in such a terrible situation because of our sin, because of our separation from God. But now, through Christ, through belief in Christ, right, we can be reconciled, we can be made right with God. This relationship is made right now, and we have everlasting life. And he was talking about that, and then he further went on to say, we talked about this for the last two weeks, that when we're reconciled and we're made right with God this way, we necessarily are made right then with other people. With other believers in Christ, we are all one. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what our ethnicity is. It does, none of that stuff matters. We're all just one in Christ. And he just got done talking about this. So he said, so when I think of all this, and then he says this, very important phrase, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. I fall to my knees and I pray. And we oftentimes think like, right on. Paul prayed. That's cool. Paul doesn't just say I prayed. He said, I fall to my knees. Now, you and I oftentimes Uh, learned, some of you might have done this, we learned to pray on our knees. When I was a a small kid, maybe three years old, four years old, uh, my mother taught us how to pray. And we would kneel at our bed. Some of you did this. We would kneel at our bed at night, and we prayed this one. This always cracks me up. Uh, Did you pray this? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Like we terrorize small children... (laughs) With this idea that you're four years old and you're going to bed, but you may not wake up. Like, there's a pleasant thought, have a nice sleep, right? But we learn to do that. We pray on our knees. And here's what you have to understand. Jewish men don't. Now, we have exceptions noted in the Bible. We know that Ezra got on his knees and prayed for the church to confess sin. We know that. We know that Solomon prayed for the temple. We know that Daniel went prostrate. I always have to keep those words straight. He went prostrate. We could have an awkward moment here. He went prostrate and he laid down and he prayed. But for the most part, Jewish men stand to pray. That's why if you ever go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem or if you've seen the Wailing Wall or if you give video or pictures, Jewish men stand at the wall and they pray. So understand this. Paul's audience would have understood what this meant. And this was emotive. This would evoke emotion. I fall to my knees. It's passion. Paul isn't just saying, I pray. Paul is saying here, I cry out to God. Like there's an acknowledgement. It's not in me. I know the one who has the power, that's who I cry out to. I cry out to the all-powerful God. That's what Paul's starting. Just know this this morning, as this whole thing starts, it starts out with a cry to God. And then Paul's going to pray here. And notice this now, in Paul's prayer, there is only one request. Paul only makes one request. Here's Paul's request. He says, I cry out to God, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will, here it is, empower you with inner strength. Inner strength through his spirit. This inner strength in some translations says inner man. It's more literal to mean inner man. Here's what it means. I'm praying that you would get a strength here in your core where you live at the deepest levels. Where you feel it, you taste it, you smell it. This is you. This is the real you. This is where you live. And I'm praying this, that in that part of you, you would gain strength. You would get courage. That you would be encouraged. That's what Paul's praying for. At that deepest, deepest level. Here's what it does. It starts out with a cry to God. And the cry is this, for strength. Strength to go on. Strength so that you folks don't throw in the towel. That's what he's saying. Now, question, why why is Paul praying for them to have strength? Like, why would they need this strength? Well, clearly, he's just told them that if you're reconciled this way, you're reconciled this way. And so you're going to need strength to do that. But I think it's more than that. Look in your Bibles. Got it? Go back two verses. Go back to verse 13. Got it? Look at verse 13. Paul says this. Hey, please, you guys, he's talking to these churches, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart because of my trials here. Remember, where's Paul writing from? He's writing from prison. And it would be real easy for these folks to go, Paul's the best Christian we know. Paul's the guy who planted our church. Paul's the guy who traveled all around. This dude's a teacher. He's a preacher. And look what it got him. It got him prison. Man, maybe it's not worth it. And Paul knows that they could easily be discouraged, that they could easily lose heart. Paul's saying, I know it ain't happening to you, but sometimes things go on around you, and it's real easy for you folks to get discouraged. And my concern is this, that you'll throw in the towel, that you'll say, mm, faith, no thank you. I'm walking away. Life got difficult. Circumstances got difficult. I see difficulties around, and I'm just not interested in the faith anymore. How do I go on? That's what Paul's praying for them, that they would have strength, that even in these difficult situations, they'd be able to move on. That's exactly what Paul's praying. Now, question, where does that strength come from? We'll go back to the verse we were just looking at. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you here in your inner core with strength. How? Through His Spirit, that this strength, that this power, this comes only from the Holy Spirit. Now, just a break in the action here. If you remember in week one, and this has become one of my favorite Bible verses, but in chapter one and in verse 13, we learned this truth, that the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, the the moment that you make Jesus Lord, the moment that you confess your sin and say, God, I need you, come into my life. Boom! The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. The Holy Spirit dwells with you. The Holy Spirit will always be there. The Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere you go. Right. If you're a follower of Christ, that Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, in in full disclosure, we know this, and I I love this about our church. Folks come here at times and, and they say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I just... I'm just curious, and I want to check it out. To which I always say, I love that you're here. I love that you would come. Just know this, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you yet. But before we're done today, I want to tell you how that Holy Spirit can live in you. So don't worry about that. We're going to get to that. But he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with strength, inner strength, through his Holy Spirit. Now, Paul goes on to say, then. So know this. First, there's a cry for help. There's a cry out to God, a passionate cry out to God for an inner strength right? But then the Holy Spirit wants to do three things in your life. And I'm telling you, these are key. The Holy Spirit is going to want to do three things in your life after you cry out to God for inner strength. And this is where it gets so cool. Here's the first thing. First, then Christ will make his home. This is the first thing. Make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and he'll keep you strong. The first thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do is take you to a deeper level of surrender. That's the first thing. You cry out to God. You say, man, I don't know how I'm going to go on. I don't know how I'm going to keep on keeping on. And you cry out to God and you cry out for an inner strength. The first thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do is take you to a deeper level of surrender. How many know there's a difference between a house and a home? You know this, right? Uh, Something happens to me and our house blows down or whatever it is and I don't have a place to stay. And I show up at church with a suitcase and you say, Neil, why don't you come stay with us? I say, right on, that's really cool. I appreciate that. So I follow you to your house. You say, no, let me get that. We get to your house. You grab my suitcase. you got a spare room. You walk me into the spare room. You throw that suitcase of mine up on your bed, and you say, Neil, make yourself at home. That's what you say. Let me just tell you something. You don't really want me making myself at home in your house. (laughs) You don't really want me going to the fridge anytime I want and grabbing whatever I want. You don't really want me sprawled out on the couch with the remote watching whatever I want at all hours of the night whenever I want. You don't really want that. There's a desk in your home, and you don't really want me going into the drawers and pulling out whatever I want. You don't really want that, right? It's the same thing with Christ when He comes into our lives. There's a great book. Uh, I read this in college, I think. It was written by a guy named Robert Munger. It's a short read, quick read, good, good read, but it's called uh, My Heart, Christ's Home. And what he talks about in the book is this, that we oftentimes invite Christ into our hearts, but we didn't invite him into our home, we invited him into our house. And what you say is, oh, Jesus, that's great, come into my heart. And we let him in the front door and we say, bup, 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 bup. that's far enough, you just stay in the entryway. I don't want you going over here, I don't want you going over here. Maybe you grow up a little spiritually, and you say, right on, Jesus, that's good, why don't you, I'll let you into the front room now, and you can even go over to this, this den that's over here. Right? And as time goes on, you you let Jesus have more. You surrender more. Right? You say, but, but, but oftentimes there's this one closet in your house and you don't want him in there and you never let him in there. See, what Paul is saying is that when you cry out and you desire this inner strength, he wants to take you to a deeper level of surrender where you say, no, 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 Jesus, like, make yourself at home. This is nothing about you getting more of God. This is about God getting more of you. Big difference. And the first step is this. He wants to take you to that deeper level of surrender. It's this weird thing that, that happens in the Christian life where there's this maturation process. And we've got we to gotta keep surrendering more. And sometimes we just got to examine and we say, are there rooms that I'm not letting God into? Are there rooms where I say, yeah, yeah, but not that. I don't want you to deal with my sex life. A lot of times we say, I don't want you to deal with my finances. That's none of your business, God. And this is saying, no, a deeper surrender. God has access to every room in your heart. That's the first thing he wants to do. Now here's the second. It says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is his love. He wants to take you to a deeper level of surrender. But the second thing he wants to do is to take you to a deeper level of understanding he wants you to understand the love of God I mean to have an understanding you get it you understand now I can't help but think this that when Paul is writing to a first century audience who's not that far removed from the resurrection of Jesus Christ he's writing to some people who might have witnessed it but they've certainly heard it from people who have been eyewitnesses and so when they hear it and he says I want you to understand this deeper understanding as all God's people should how wide and how, how long and how high and how deep is his love? I can't help but think that that audience, first century Christians, were thinking how wide and they saw the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross. Or he says how long and how high and they see his feet nailed in and the head of Christ with thorns in it. Like I just think they have to be thinking that. The greatest picture, the greatest demonstration of God's love for us is Christ on the cross. And I think sometimes we forget this. So I, just, I know that sometimes I blab a lot and I just go on ad nauseum for a long time. But I, I just... We just got to stop everything for one second. I just want you to look at me. I want everybody to look at me. Look this way. I want you to focus. And I want you to hear this with fresh ears. God loves you. God loves you. Listen to me with fresh ears. God loves you. Some of you are forgotten. You've forgotten that. You've forgotten how how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. Some of you say, well, I've never had a relationship with God. I've never engaged with God. You know why? Because I don't think God could love me. You know what the irony of that whole statement is? God knows everything. He knows every detail. He knows the dirtiest details of everything you've ever done. And guess what? He loves you. God knows the train wreck that my life has been, and he loves me. And there's this weird thing that happens in the Christian life where the more we get to know God and the more we get to understand God, we actually see our own depravity more and more, and it causes us to realize that God loves us despite our, our own depravity, and we love God even more, right? God loves you, and nothing changes that. It's the greatest demonstration of God's love is his son on the cross. For God so loved the world, it's the depth of his love, that he gave his own own son, it's the extent that he would go to, it's the extent of his love, that whosoever would believe in him, it's the breadth of his love, whosoever would never perish but have everlasting life. Listen to me. Yes, he wants there to be a deeper level of surrender. Yes. God wants to take you to a deeper level of understanding of his great love for you. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And then there's one more thing that he says. And he says, And may you experience the love of Christ. And though it is too great to fully understand, He doesn't want you to just know it. Hey, I got this knowledge in my head and I understand it. I got that. No, no, no. He's like, I want you to feel it. I want you to experience it. Now, it's by the power of His Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to minister that to you. But I want to tell you the other way that we experience the love of God, and it's this through the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And so I'm just going to tell you this sometimes. I love the fact that we have technology. I love the fact that some of you folks are sick. I love the fact that some of you folks are at your cabin or you're out of town or you still tune in. I love the fact that some of you are going to tune in three months from now. But the way that we experience the, the love of God is through the body of Christ. And so sometimes in a consumer-driven culture, it's real easy for us to go, I don't know if I feel like going to church today. I don't know if I'm going to get there. I don't, know if I, I don't know what I'm getting out of it. And sometimes we're not consumers as Christians. No, we are givers. And so sometimes the primary reason that you come is to worship God and to minister the love of God to the body of Christ. That's why we come. And you can say, oh, pastor, you just want a bigger crowd. Fairly shallow. I'll admit it. There's maybe even some truth to that. But the real truth is that. Forgive me. Just forget me for a minute, man. Think about ministering to the body of Christ and how you minister to the body of Christ because you show up and you encourage people. See, he wants there to be a deeper level of surrender. He wants to take you to a deeper understanding of the love of Christ. He wants there to be a deeper experience of the love of God, right? And then Paul says then, and this is what's so crazy to, this whole, to, to me about this whole passage. Because let me just ask you a question real quick. How many folks like, just in general, I like a bonus. Raise your hand if you like bonuses. Okay, if you didn't, raise your hand this time. Here's one for you. How many of you are liars? Okay, good. <laughs> we all like a bonus, man. We all like a bonus. You go to work all year long, and they pay, and all of a sudden it gets Christmas, and sometimes they go, hey, bonus check. And you're like, right on. That's awesome, right? I was thinking about this. Let's say you, 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 you've wanted a house all your life. And you save your money, you save your money, you save your money. And finally, you're able to buy a house. Right on, you bought a house. And so now you like your house, you like cute little neighborhood, you like the whole thing. And now some afternoon, you're coming home. You've been who knows where. You're coming home, and as you're driving home, you go, i got to mow the grass. i got to mow the grass. And now you pull into your driveway. What's this? Some dude's in your, drive- he's in your yard, and he's mowing the yard. And you get out of your car, and you're like, uh, what are you doing? He's like, it's just a bonus. When we sell you a house, man, we like to mow your yard for the rest of your life. You're like, right on, bonus, love that. And now you're laying in bed and it's Saturday morning, your new house with the lawn is already taken care of, right? And you wake up on a Saturday morning, you just wake up, the alarm doesn't go off. You just pleasantly wake up like in the commercials, right? And then you go, oh, wow, I'm going to have to clean my house. i got to clean my house today. So you get up, you go downstairs, and it's kind of creepy, but there's the same dude in your living room. And he's got on this little apron, and he's got a feather duster, and he's got a vacuum. He's just going at it. You're like, dude, what are you doing in my house? He goes, oh, it's just a bonus, just a bonus. We sell your house, we like to clean your house for the rest of your life. That's what we do. You're like, right on. Now it gets later in the day, and you say, man, you know what? I'd sure like to have a fire pit in my backyard. I'm gonna put one in. So you grab a shovel, you take it out in the backyard, and you go, clink, clink. What? You dig all around it. It's a gold chest full of gold bullion. It's just a bonus. It's just a bonus. The house was cool. The house was awesome. But you got some bonus. Somebody mowing your yard. Somebody cleaning your house. Gold bullion in the backyard. That stuff's nothing. You want to see a bonus? That is nothing. That would be awesome. It is nothing. Wait till you see this bonus, because here's what we do. We cry out to God, because we understand that it's not within us. We understand that he's the all-powerful one. And we cry out to the living God, and we say, God, I need strength. I don't know if I can go on right now. I'm fixing to throw in the towel. I need your strength. And when you do that, he wants to take you to a deeper level of surrender. Not only that, he wants to give you a deeper understanding of the love of God. Not only that, but he wants to take you to a deeper experience. Now wait, as if that's not all really cool, as if that's not all enough, wait till you see the bonus. He says, then you'll be made complete. That's not even the bonus. Now watch this. You came just asking for a little strength. That's all you wanted. I just need to get through the day. He says, oh, kid, I got more for you. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Are you kidding me? You just wanted a little strength? The God of heaven is the God of grace. I call him the God of bonus. It's so much more. It's just so much more. You started out, and you just want a little strength. He's like, man, I had so much more for you than that. I've got all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. That's what I have for you. So if you're new to the church, always at the end of the service, we do the big so what. You can sleep. This is the beauty of the big so what. You can sleep through the whole thing. You only need to wake up from this. This is the big idea. Crying out to God leads to actually fullness of life and power, fullness and power. Like, you just cry out to God. That's where it started? And you were just looking for a little strength? He said, oh, no, man, it led to fullness of life, fullness and power. And it just started out because you cry out to God for strength. Now, in full disclosure, I'm a little skeptical at times. And you might be like me. And I think, man, fullness of life, like, really? Like, how would I even ask for that? How would I even think of that? I wouldn't ask for that because I couldn't think of it. Paul is like 10 steps ahead of you. He knew what you folks are going to think. He knew how skeptical we all are. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse 20. You got it? Look at verse 20. Watch this. And now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to do, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You think, oh, God, I don't know if God could do that. Uh Uh-uh. He can do more than you could ever ask. He can do more than you could ever think. How many of you grew up on the old King James Bible? Uh, what's, what's the phrase here? Uh, 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 immeasurably more. It says abundantly, exceedingly. I think it's what it says. Exceedingly, abundantly more. I don't even know what that means. I'm just, I went to public schools, you know? And I'm like, more than we might ask or think God could do. Right. That's why when you started out and all you said is, God, I just gotta get through the day. God, I just got to get through the next day. God, I'm just trying to make it through the week. He's like, psst, I got you covered. I got more than you could ask or think. I've got fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's the God we serve, man. That's the God we serve. That's the abundant God, the gracious God, the God of the bonus. It's the God we serve. So then we say this, so what? Now what? Now what do we do? Pretty simple, pretty simple. We cry out to God, because that's where it all started. You just got to get it started. We just got to cry out to God. We just got to start crying out to God. Now, some of you, your cry out to God simply has to be this, God, I've never confessed my sin. And so before we go any further this morning, we're not quite done. But I want to give you folks a chance to do that. You say I've been coming to church, I've been listening to something, I've been I've been thinking about it, God's word. I want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. So bow your heads with me. Father, this morning we're thankful for your word and for the teaching of your word. And I'm praying for those right now, Holy Spirit. I'm praying that you're convicting their heart. They're people who are saying, "I've never surrendered my life. I've never committed my life to Christ." If that's you this morning, you could do it. You could have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life right now, immediately, before you ever even leave this room, and you would do it by praying this prayer silently as I pray aloud. God in heaven, I admit my sin. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. I confess, yes, God, I've sinned. I'm asking you to forgive me today, right now. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I believe that he rose from the dead. And now, God, my prayer, as I commit my life to you, I surrender my life to you. I'm praying that you give me the strength to live that out for the rest of my days. I understand that this is only the beginning. This is the start. Give me the strength, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.